Girls of Product tells the story of amazing women to encourage and inspire others to follow their own paths in the product area. This is your host, Victoria. And this project was made possible thanks to our partnership with Zalanda Tech, the world's most fashionable tech company. And today we have Vidya Dinamani with us, product coach, founder and partner at Product Rebels, founder and partner at Adastra Ventures. Hello Vidya and welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much, Victoria. Um, I'm really happy to and, and very, very excited to have you with us today. Would you please tell us more about your current project? Sure, I'd be happy to. I'm excited to, to talk with you as well. So I have two hats. Um, you talked about Product Rebels and Ad Astra Ventures. So at Product Rebels, we help teams build better products by helping them understand the foundations or what we call the groundwork of understanding the right problem to solve, the right person to solve for, and then being able to understand what's most important to build. So with these three pieces in place, we can get to a much better solution for customers. And we do this through a 12-week boot camp program where each week you do a little bit of online and then you practice on your product and then you work with us. So that's really fun on the product rebel side. And we tend to work with medium, big companies, Fortune 50, like teams that are really building products at scale. At the Ad Astra Ventures side, I work with startups. I work with completely new, new to the, new to the world products and small teams and primarily female founders. So we have an accelerator that we take women through a pretty standard program of how to build your business, but we layer on implicit bias training. So we help female founders and CEOs understand how they have to show up differently because they're a woman. So those are the two things that I do day to day. You have a very impressive professional profile, but we all know that nobody starts from leading positions. So what were you driven with? What helped you to grow consistently year after year in product management? Who inspired you? Who supported you? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a great question. So I started my career off um, technically. I started off actually as a, as a software developer and I found myself drawn towards more of the customer problems. So less technical and more and more working towards understanding the product. But you're right, I didn't sort of jump there. Um, what I did was I said yes to opportunities um, and I said yes to things that I didn't really know how to do. And a couple of examples of this is I, you know, I was, I was chief architect of a pretty large organization um, and kind of went into that role thinking about back office systems and integration because I thought I can ask good questions. I can bring teams together. I have really good experts around me. So I said yes, even though it was sort of scary. And then I went into business operations. Um, never done that before. But Again, the same sort of skills that you have. Uh, had a really strong leader that asked me to join their team. And I think that's, I would say, what's really inspired and supported me. Looking for those people that you really want to work with and work for, and then not really worrying too much about the job that you do. So I've taken um, a pretty sort of like interesting route towards product management. I did all these other things before I find myself leading customer experience development. And there I had product managers and developers 
and research and UX and, and all sorts of people coming together to develop a customer experience. And doing that, I found myself leveraging all the different skills that I learned along the way. And then really always sort of kind of like going closer and closer to the customer. So that's kind of been the journey. And so I think what's helped me grow to, to answer your question is by saying yes to opportunities to work with really great people. And then you get, you learn from them and they take you with them and then they open the door to new and better opportunities. Uh, there is a saying that um, it's great to work with people that you want to hug. Do you agree? <laughs> I love that. Yes, I totally agree. You know, there's, there's nothing better than actually really respecting and enjoying and wanting to hang out with the people that you work with and especially really respecting the person you work for. And again, just not letting um, your career or a sense of how you're supposed to progress in your career determine this. But the person you want to hug, I love that. I'm going to use that, Victoria. <laughs> Um, and what, what are your key principles in managing and leading teams? You sound very positive and I think it is an amazing atmosphere. I read all these um, reviews you have in LinkedIn and all those team members are just um, so happy working with you. Oh, that's, that's very kind. Now, I... No, and this has grown as I've grown through my career. But at the end of the day, the more senior you get, really the, the biggest job you have is looking after your people and helping them and doing that in a way that really respects them, but also helps them grow in the areas that, that you believe are important. And I think that honesty and that partnership um, makes you respected and um and again those kind words that you said so i really my principles are it's quick feedback all the time you know i believe in just communicating and never letting us wait for some sort of standard meeting so being interested being completely involved and then following up we used to have this saying it's a say do ratio so if you say something is important people watch you whether you do it or not. And if you say these things that like, you know, my people are important and I really want to give feedback and then you actually don't do it, then you don't, people don't believe you. So this they do ratio, I, I'm very careful about what I commit to, um, what I say that I will do. And then I 100% follow up with the things that I said I would do for my people. So I think there's just a sense of, you know, trust that that forms that you having to say, I want to have a trusted relationship. That say do, I think, is just really critical. And it's great for the rest of your life as well, not just for, for building teams. Yeah, I think with such principles, is it's really, really comfortable to work and the atmosphere is really healthy at work. Um, did you have any mentors who, who helped to take your career to another level? Yeah, you know, I I was thinking about like mentors recently because I'm I'm doing something for some some younger folks actually at, at a high school level. And and what what I what I want to share is there's certain people definitely that, that have very much helped me, whether they've been bosses or they've been, you know, people that are really good friends. So there's two things that I actually wanted to share. Like the first is 
you don't actually have to know your mentor for them to be a mentor. And that sounds strange, but I think that there's a couple of people that when I think about an organization that I spent a long time at, and they never knew that they were my mentor. They just, they just had no clue. If you ask them, they'd be like, who's she? But I looked to them. I followed them. I read what they did. I watched any sort of media coverage and they really inspired me. So I picked mentors that just really spoke to what I appreciated and inspired me and I wanted to aspire to. So I want to share that this idea of mentors can actually just pick people that you admire and then call them your mentor and then, <laughs> and, and that's who they are. Um, so I know that's kind of weird, but it really works. And it's a lot easier than trying to find someone you know and then have this kind of like weird relationship. The second thing that I wanted to share about mentors is I actually have what I call a personal board of advisors. And so this personal board of advisors to me are the group that, that I go to for really important decisions, whether that's my career, um, family, you know, whatever aspect it is. And so if you think about the go-to people and if you form a group that you think is balanced and they have very sort of different um, ideas and different responses and different opinions, they advise you. So instead of, again, a specific mentor, I have a board of advisors that consists of, um, it's my brother, um, it's my husband, and then I've got two or three friends, and one of them is a lawyer, um, another one is a small business owner, another one works in a corporate, and another one, um, she's a, an investor and, and someone who's very involved in the business. So very different backgrounds, and they actually have never really, you know, some of them know each other, some of them don't. But for me, it's my go-to group for advice. And so I use them as this kind of group mentor. And I think about them first when going for big questions. So I get three or four different opinions and I can think through it. They help me think through it. And again, I think from a mentorship perspective, they also can point out like where maybe are some gaps in your thinking. Maybe where are some opportunities that you haven't actually considered. So those two pieces put together, along with the traditional mentorship, I think can be really powerful because you have access to them. You don't have to stress about trying to find someone and you don't have to develop this maybe, you know, like a little bit inauthentic mentor relationship, which I see happening sometimes. So <laughs> for what it's worth, those are two things to consider. Yeah, and those people are also that you always want to give a hug to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think there's a theme here, Victoria, that we're like, it's like, next time we see each other, we're going to have to like hug each other too. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, Vidya, is your 12-week bootcamp for rebel leaders made to support beginners or already experienced ambitious product managers? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Victoria. And I have to tell you, it's it's both. And so let me explain that because for the product managers out there, they're going to be like, wait a minute, who is she solving for? Who's her persona? But for there's there's two distinct personas that we think about. The first is a team of people who are not yet product managers, and that can be someone who maybe is a product owner, 
maybe it's from someone from QA or development, customer service, someone who's interested in product management. And so our 12-week boot camp really gives you an overview of everything that a product manager should do. And that from a just personal learning perspective really infuses customer learning and a customer-driven approach into someone who is trying to understand product management for the first time. It's also really good for teams of people who've never really done product management. We've had several clients who are very good like in their discipline. Um, the last client I'm thinking of, they're all from marketing. And what we did was we worked with them to help them transform into a product management team. So great people didn't understand what they were supposed to do as product managers, and we were able to do that in 12 weeks. The second group, and these are sort of the bigger companies where people have been doing product management for some time, why it's so important to work with them in the 12-week boot camp is that experienced product managers build their experience from all these different places. So depending on which company you're at, you might have a slightly different approach or a very different way of bringing your ideas, your templates, your deliverables um, to the company. And so what we try and do is infuse this foundation of customer-driven product management into everything that they do. So we can take an experienced product team and at the end of 12 weeks, they're talking in a consistent language, they all use the same uh, taxonomy to mean the same thing. And they have a set of templates and shared practices. Now they all have a common language for working. So we found it's actually really effective for both. Do you remember the most impressive transformation? Yeah. Um, oh, I've got so many great stories about women CEOs. Um, let, me, let me tell you about one woman. Um, and she, um, her name is um, Kate, and she was an impressive professional executive, you know, doing really well in her career. She was in operations, doing really well. And then she got cancer and went through this pretty horrific experience. And in her research, because, you know, again, an incredibly smart executive, she's a, a grad from Stanford Business School, um, she, she went through everything. And she found that going through chemotherapy, there was a way that she could keep her hair. But nobody ever talked about it. Nobody really knew about it. And it was incredibly expensive. So if you were in a position where you were so unfortunate to be hit by something like this, you would just automatically like think, okay, I've got to go buy wigs and, and so forth. Well, what she wanted to do after she, and th thankfully she's a survivor, um, she's in a really good place. She left her job to start a new business founded by the passion and actually some anger about the fact that this wasn't available to the millions of women who have to go through this and men actually. So she founded a company, you know, she has never built a tech device. Um, she's never built like, you know, directly this kind of the software, but what she wanted to do was to make an affordable solution for people going through chemotherapy that allowed them to keep their hair. And so she created the business model. She went, she, she understood, she had sort of a business case. So when she came to us, she was looking for money. And so she went through our program, our accelerator, with the thought that she wanted to get ready for investment. And what happened through the course of our accelerator program and really understanding and in some ways shifting 
where her passion came from into a really specific understanding of the problem that she solved, that she wanted to solve, but also the potential. So we built out a product roadmap and a vision for her that was much bigger and much broader than, than anything she started with. We also, using all the design principles that we know, got her to focus on a prototype. And so what she did was instead she stopped looking for money and she focused on actually getting something tangible that she could deliver out the world. So that's what she has right now. Um, she is an incredible founder. She's um, got now this working prototype that now she's in a position, and this is six months later, that she is raising. So uh, stories like that, I have, you know, dozens. There's just amazing women. And what we did with her was focus on the business, the problem, and I'm a product person. So I'm really focused on what are you solving for? And it can't just be this broad definition. It has to be really specific. And then how do you create a product with a minimal viable product? And what we actually refer to as minimal viable wow, because you want to absolutely prioritize and focus the one thing that's incredibly important to your prospects. And so with that, and with that laser focus, and that programming that I talked about, which is really implicit bias, understanding herself, understanding how she came across, being able to frame and speak to her story and understand and meet investors where they were, we were able to get her in a position where she is actually in the middle of a very successful raise. So I'm very proud of her. So that's one story. I'm very proud of her too. This is a very, very impressive story. Thanks for sharing. And you know, I, I like what I like about our time that this is such an incre incredible thing that we have so many opportunities now to change the world mm -hmm. and including technologies. We really have all in our hands and we, it's just amazing power. I totally agree. I think this is an amazing time to, to be in product. I think there's so many opportunities and so many tools. I think the, the shadow of that opportunity is trying to focus and understanding how to prioritize because when you have, and this is true for all of us, there's always too much to do. There's always more features. There's always more things that we can build and develop and launch. It's, it's how do you really create the discipline to focus on what's most important that will delight your customers. And so that's, again, I'm just bringing it back to from a product perspective, that's, I think, the hardest thing in, in, the, in the sea of endless opportunity that, that we're lucky enough to, to be part of. And next question will be about your discipline and how do you maintain life and work balance? Um, so I had three kids. And so you can imagine that, you know, with two different jobs and three kids, um, the, the discipline is, is really being very deliberate. So I, my calendar is, you know, is, is really important. I put everything on there and I try and literally leverage it. It's like a third, a third, a third. So a third is, is my family and, and, and that's the first layer that I put on my calendar. Um, and then the second and third are these, these two other businesses that I run. And, you know, I'm, I'm in a fortunate position where because I'm a partner in both companies, I get to drive what I get involved with. 
um, and and what we get other people to support in terms of developing and launching the programs and the boot camps. But really, it's to started with, you know, how do I want to spend my time and a level of what, how do I allocate the the resources, which is me and my time and energy against the things that are important. So family and friends, business one, business two. And, and that's really how I, I balance work life. People describe you as an extremely successful leader, energetic, positive, and professional. We all know the famous song of James Brown where he sings, this is man's world. <laughs> <laughs> Do you experience difficulties and struggles in your career as a female leader and as a woman of color? You know, I, um, I, I think that that's a, it's an interesting question because I think if I looked for it throughout my experience, I would absolutely identify many examples, whether that was, you know, maybe being overlooked for a certain project or assignment or, being in a room where you're the only woman and, and everyone thinks like, why are you there? And thinks you're the support staff. Um, and I think that's probably more true of women of color than, than even, or in generically, like, you know, for, for many of you out there as women leaders, um, I'm sure you've had the experience where it's just you. And so I, I don't tend to focus on that. I tend to look for opportunity. And I think that, you know, going right back to your early question is aligning yourself with the people that you want to hug, the people that you want to, to work with and moving away. And I tend to use my intuition and my gut a lot about people and teams. I really just don't want to have to do anything to do with. And so I say no to those things that don't feel right. So I think as I've got older, I tend to protect myself by just not putting myself in those positions. But instead, I have an incredibly supportive community. Um, I work with clients that I want to work with. And again, I know that this is a very fortunate place to be in. But I tend to be much more positive because of that and not tend to look at those disadvantages. But yes, many, many stories of, you know, being um, singled out or overlooked as, as both of those things. I can tell you when you're thinking about implicit bias, and I think this is kind of the, some of the, the, the issues that I'm really thinking through now, the obvious bias is easy to, to almost deal with because it's so obvious and it's egregious and it's just like, you know, you, you, it sort of annoys you and you get frustrated. But it's that implicit bias where, you know, especially I think for girls, and I haven't done enough research for, for people of color, but for girls and for women, we just automatically sort of like see the world in a certain way because right from the minute that we're born, um, we're surrounded by a world that's been designed by men primarily and designed for men primarily. And so, you know, it's really interesting. And just one really quick story about this. <clears throat> um, there's a lot of women's products that are starting to be developed. And there's a lot of women founders that are trying to propose um, new types of products, whether that's for feminine sort of like, you know, wellness or hygiene or, or, or other. Um, and the people who are investing simply don't get it. So one of the questions to address this implicit bias that we tell our teams is to say, go ask a woman in your life about whether this is important to her. 
because we acknowledge that we are never going to convince the people that have most of the checkbooks right now that they can't, they don't understand it. You know, they'd much prefer to invest in like male pattern baldness or something and, and all the other sort of like, you know, drugs and products there are. So we need to figure out how to address that. So as a woman and as a person of color, I can tell you that it's on me to face that, ask different questions, point it out, because I can't wait for the world to change. Carlo Macurin, also founder and a leader, left an amazing review on your LinkedIn profile saying that you had a great success while moderating a panel with female business owners. How do you support women in your teams and life and who supports you? It's that balance. It's back to that say do. Um, I always start by pointing out like what I, is really impressive and what's, what's really unique and compelling, whether it's about their product, whether it's about the presentation, it's about something that they're trying to do. But it's also, if they're asking, then it's also what do you need? Like where's the gap? And instead of it being sort of one of those sandwiches where it's like it's good and then you put in the bad and then it's, and then it's good again, I have a different layer, which is like you start with what's working you maybe point out one thing that's an opportunity and then you end with how can I help you, right? So you reach into your network, you reach into the people and, and the contacts and the resources that you have and you genuinely say, how is it that I can support you and help you? And then it's up to them to ask. And I can tell you, unfortunately, women are not very good at asking. So one in 10 women will actually follow up and say, because I will say, I, I know this person or I can connect you with so-and-so. You just have to come and ask me. So send me an email, something that, that shows that you actually want this. And nine women in this conversation will actually not do it. So ask if someone actually offers you help, take it. I think we are too concerned with, oh, they're going to be too busy, or, oh, I don't want to bother them, or I didn't really mean that. We talk ourselves out of this all the time. It's kind of crazy. So if someone offers you help, they mean it, believe it, take it. Do you think that this is already time when we, we women should collaborate, not compete anymore? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question because this, this idea that there's only a few spots and I think there's a lot that's been talked and researched about this. And we all grew up, at least I grew up with this idea and hearing about the glass ceiling. And in that room of 12 in the board meeting, there's a space for one woman. So we've got to compete. Well, our motto, um, our vision at Ad Astra is get to even. And in order to get to even, we need a whole lot more women stepping into those roles. And I think the only way we're going to get there is that if we recommend other people, other women, if we help someone else, I mean, we need to be in those networks. We need to be in those places. And there needs to be a lot more of us in those kind of areas that can then support the next generation. So I told you I have three kids, two of them are girls, and I want them to have way more opportunity and not feel like they have to, you know, fight for the, the one spot. So if we take away, and I think collaboration is a terrific word, and I would also add to that, it's deliberately 
helping someone else because they will then be in a position that will be able to help others and that network effect will really grow and we've just got to get much better at doing that as women i think that we tend to network more personally we tend to network much more from a like you know do i like you are you my friend and i'm not saying turn to a completely like it's just about black and white business but think about how you can talk about what you're doing I have, I have so many founders who have their work life and you asked about that earlier and in their work life they never talk about their personal and in their personal life no one in their personal surroundings understands what they do for work and so we've got to actually start bridging that gap we've got to bring our you know again it's, it's a little bit of a cliche but this idea of your whole self and then talk about what you do because you never know who else is listening and who might be able to help and collaborate with you. Uh, what is um, the most challenging uh, product for you? Um, I'd say the most challenging product, it's usually one where you can't actually access the client. And so we've worked with a couple of actually our clients recently from this is from a product rebel point of view and we're working with product teams and the culture it's these older products they've been around for a really long time they've been primarily driven by a sales team or an accounting team and they're the customer facing group and the product team tends to be the recipient of here's what my here's what our customer says and that could be in the form of you know sales requirements or or, or an account like this isn't working and it's an account manager translating those needs and so when it's like that it can be really challenging because when you're teaching and you're coaching a customer driven practice not being able to get first hand to the customer is is tough so in those instances you know we we've had to develop a a much more slow ability to get them this could be the course of a year or even longer where we use proxies or we might turn around and ask people to tag along to to some meetings but but not be able to say anything or perhaps use our annual conference to to try a few things when the culture and and the top leadership doesn't really support this that i think is the most challenging place for a product manager and a product team to be because it's really hard to do your job when you don't have that immediate interaction with your customer. So that is always the most challenging for us because we have to get super creative about how do we maybe do some workarounds, maybe how do we sort of slowly kind of get ourselves integrated into the system because it's not as simple as picking up the phone and going directly to that customer. What is the best professional advice ever given to you? I think the the best advice I ever got um, was speak up early. And, and what I mean by that is when I was, when I was pretty junior um, in, in my career, uh, you know, you're, you're, if you're in the room at all, you're sitting in the back um, and you don't tend to go sit at the table. And so, and it's always like you again second guess you know oh everyone knows this this is like a dumb question you sort of talk yourself out of ever speaking and the longer the meeting goes 
the harder it is to actually say something. So one of an advice that I got really early and it, it took me a while to practice and, and kind of get over like, you know, fear and, um, and, and just embarrassment, but is be like one of the first people to say something that whether that's a question or a comment, just get it out there. Because once you've broken that ice and you've said something and you've engaged, it's amazing what that does. There's, what it does for you is that it, it gives you confidence. And especially as, as you do this over and over again, it, that confidence grows. The second is people start actually looking to you because they were probably thinking that very thing, but you articulated it. And the third is that because you established yourself, you've broken that ice, you find yourself, again, being that person who may be tapped for a new opportunity, um, someone who's seen as being willing to take some, you know, ask the questions, take the risks. And so your brand changes along with it. And it's so simple that one little act of trying to be, you know, in the first two or three people in a meeting early that say something, ask something, make some sort of comment, just start doing that. And I think amazing things happen. And it certainly did for me. And I've now, you know, it's, oh, it's been a while now, but I kind of got over the, you know, I don't mind if it's a dumb question. I don't care. Like people ask dumb questions all the time. Um, but what it does is it, it, it has really helped me. And I think that was an amazing piece of advice, which in the beginning, it's really hard to do and it's really intimidating, but it, it actually unlocks lots and lots of opportunities for you. What other advices would you add for women who would like to become a leader, who would like to become product management rebel and <laughs> to go and uh, kick us out there in the world? Um, anyone become a rebel, you just stand up for your customer, stand up for their rights, talk about your customer in the next meeting, whether that's with your development team, whether that's with your scrum team, um, whoever it is, just bring customer into your conversation. Explain why you made a decision based on what you understood from your customer needs. Put up a picture of your customer next time you present your product roadmap. Just, you know, put up a quote, maybe play a small clip of a video or a recording. Like bring your customer into your team and that's how you become a product management rebel. Um, in terms of women who become professional leaders, um, I, I just say, just put your hand up, like volunteer, go do some of those jobs where you're like, I'm not exactly sure like how this fits, but it's a really good leader that's leading this. And I'd like to learn from, from him or her and go try some different things. Don't feel like you're so trapped in sort of a specific career path. And I understand for a lot of like working, um, like working moms, um, when you've got very limited time where you are balancing all of these things, be judicious, like maybe go ask a few people, like, what do you think I should get involved in? Like, you know, if you've got bandwidth for one thing, don't feel like you've got to go it alone, actually solicit other people and then form that personal board of advisors. Like go think about the people that are in your life that, that you think are a great group of people to formally advise you. And then make it that you go to them with these important questions. And so I think to become a professional leader, show up, volunteer, get involved, and then just 
don't let yourself hold yourself back. Like, just go for it. Thank you very much for your inspiration today. This was Vidya Dinamani and me, Victoria, your host. And this project was made possible thanks to our partnership with Zalando Tech, the world's most fashionable tech company.